Welcome to a Longer Table podcast, a space for real and sometimes hard conversations that will often challenge your perspective and always empower you to pull up more seats around your own table. I'm your host, Amanda Carpenter. Let's dive in. So I grew up in a small town with pretty conservative views, and I wasn't gay, nor did I know anyone who was openly gay. So when I heard from the church that I was attending that homosexuality was a sin, it was pretty easy for me to accept, right? Because it didn't impact me directly or anyone that I loved, at least that I knew of. But as I grew older and I moved away and my worldview expanded, I made friends with people who identified as gay. They were part of this LGBTQ community. And I ran into this tension for the first time that began to make me question my beliefs. And it was really interesting when I heard my friend, my brother, and the pastor of South Bend City Church, Jason Miller, give this sermon on sexuality that totally rocked my world. I have Jay here with me today, and Jay, for the people who haven't heard this sermon, I want to just dive into what was the goal of you sharing about sexuality at your church? Yeah, so we're we're, uh, we're kind of a new church, and from our beginning, you know, people always ask, like, where does South Bend City Church stand on sexuality? And um, I, I resisted that out of the gate because, first of all, it kind of felt like that like that question isn't the center of our community. The, the, the center of our community is we're a Jesus community. But at some point, we got to talk about it um, because people are asking, and especially because I think people who identify as L or G or B or T or Q, I really think they have a right to know um, what they can expect from a community. Mm-hmm. And so it just after a couple of years, it just seemed really important for everyone and especially for, for those people for us to talk about it. Yeah, no, I'm so glad you did that. I think a lot of churches, I I get it when people say like, why do we have to make that the main thing? It's not the main thing. Yeah, but clarity is kindness. And like those people, if they want to be a part of your community, they do need to know where they stand and if you'll marry them or if they can work there or if they can volunteer, you know, if you're just there trying to change them or fix them or whatever. And so Jay, you gave this uh, sermon on sexuality. Tell me if this is an accurate uh, depiction of it. You gave this sermon on sexuality to let your community know that you guys were an affirming community. Is that correct? Or how would you, how would you state that? Yeah, I, I'm really allergic to labels. Um, and the fact is that there are members of South and city church, like members of our community that have like really the whole spectrum of perspective on this question. So um, I wasn't really interested in putting a label on Salvin City Church. I was interested in clarifying our organizational behavior. And so what we clarified is that um, in terms of practice, that nobody's going to be excluded from belonging, involvement, leadership, and, and marriage on the basis of sexuality or gender identity. And so we have pastors that will do a gay wedding. Um, and so we, that, that was the clarity. Um, but yeah, like it's not like we slapped a label on the website. Uh, we just tried to clarify our behavior. Okay, love it. But clearly that is very different from a lot of churches who say the Bible makes it very clear homosexuality is a sin. Or even when I hear of people saying, well, it says in the Bible, like there's all these verses that people will pull and say homosexuality is a sin. What do you say to that? Yeah, I mean, I so it was a long sermon I preached, and we, and we worked through all of the major texts in Scripture that people typically point to. And I, w- I would 
the case that I was sort of making that day is I don't think it's quite as clear as it seems. So maybe a couple of quick examples. Yeah, um, please. Like, you know, there's a couple of Old Testament texts where it's like, if a man lies with another man, it's an abomination, which is this kind of loaded Old Testament bible word for it's evil. You know, it's offensive to God. It's really, really wrong. So people are like reading and they're like, wow, that's describing same-sex behavior and saying it's really, really wrong. But like a trick there is in, in like Leviticus and Deuteronomy, that word in the Hebrew that gets translated uh, abominable or an abomination, that word gets used 117 times. 111 of them have nothing to do with same-sex behavior. And like I was double checking this the other day, like so, some of the things that are also abominable, the same really heavy word are like eating shellfish, right? <laughs> yeah. So yeah. eating certain kinds of birds. Um so, so there's that, that's one example where like, it seems like a really, really direct text, mm. but then when you do, when you try to be consistent in how you interpret, you have to ask some questions and, and then like in the new Testament. So fast forward and like in, in the Romans, Paul, uh, he talks about, you know, men or women having some sort of sexual relationship with another man or another woman. And he says it's, it's unnatural and it's, um, shameful. Mm. And again, that sounds really direct, Right. But the same writer, Paul, in a letter to a church at Corinth, says it's unnatural and shameful for a man to have long hair mm. or a woman to pray uh, without her head covered. So if you're going to be consistent and if you're going to interpret fairly, um, I think it at least starts to chip away at some of the certainty that people feel when they read some of those verses. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I so appreciate you kind of breaking that down for us. And I mean, I've always just wondered, like, how could a church be anti-homosexuality and pro-women or anti-slavery and pro... Like, it's just been weird because I think, um, just to say it really simply, like, I've had a hard time with the Bible at certain points throughout my journey of, you know, being a Christ follower because as someone who's not a theologian or, like, you know, the most digging I do is, like, read commentary on scripture, but... And hopefully, you know, go to churches where my pastor can help me. But it's been really difficult because there's so many contradictions. And so people that say, well, the Bible's clear on this. I'm like, but is it like, I I don't know if that's true. And then also people have said to me as I've kind of journeyed from not being affirming at all, because it was what I was told to believe. And I, that was easy for me to swallow. Like I said, at the beginning of the episode to saying, well, maybe I'm wrong. And also again, I know there will people listen, people I know there will be people listening to this episode who will disagree. But for me, what if, what if I'm wrong about it the other way? And like, I don't know, like, do I want to follow Jesus? And I feel like Jesus erred on the side of love. And so I've kind of gotten there, even being unsure, I've come on, I've gotten to this place in my faith where it's like, yeah, but like, first of all, who am I to judge? Like I have my own sin. Like, why do we have to rank all these, all this sin? Like, why do we make such a big fuss about certain things? And, and do we even know that it's sin? So it's just been a hard thing for me to navigate. And I appreciated your sermon on sexuality. And I want to encourage my listeners to go and listen to it because I also loved that you said very directly to your church, you said, listen, I'm willing to have a conversation with you about this, but only after you've been willing to read and do some digging, um, on the side that, you know, you, that you don't agree with, like, where did that come from? I appreciate it so much. So I want to dive into that as well. Yeah. Like, so we released a, a reading list alongside the sermon 
and we included three books that generally argue for a traditional view and three books that generally argue for a, a progressive or an inclusive view for, for queer people. And, uh, um, yeah, I and mean, part of it honestly is like, I, as, as, as like one person, I was like, I can't do 40 or 50 meetings and I'm not going to waste my time taking you through arguments that you can readily find. And I'm, I'm giving them to you in the book. But if, you, if you're willing to do the work with me, like I, I want to meet you there. And, you know, I don't I'm, I'm not like like I don't think everybody who um, like my own views on this are, are pretty affirming. Right. Um, but I, like I don't think everybody who disagrees with me is a bigot or a terrible person. I think a lot of people are really wrestling with a sense of conscience mm. and want to be faithful. And I think we can all admit that like, there's definitely things that are, um, that a lot of people like in the progressive world agree on that. Like, not, I'm like, I don't agree with all that. So I don't want to just go along. Yeah. So I really admire people who, um, are, who do, who want to do the work and I want to be a pastor that walks with you through that. So that's why we provided the books and I, and I really on both sides, like if somebody's, it's, what's interesting is, you know, our church really clarified our inclusion, but the people who got the maddest at me <laughs> were actually like some progressives who couldn't believe that I put three traditional books on the reading list. Mm. And they were really, really upset about that. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of angst on both sides and we're trying to carve out a space that, that genuinely makes room for anyone in good faith who's trying to work it out. Yeah. I love that. And this podcast is called The Longer Table, which obviously is representative of what you just said. You know, you want your church to be a space where whether you believe homosexuality is a sin or whether you don't, whether you are identify with the LGBTQ community or not, that you're welcome there. So obviously, Jay, when you gave that sermon on sexuality, you probably got praise from people within your church. You had some people who were unhappy and maybe left the church. What else did it cost you? Because I think as you came out with this stance, so to speak, I mean, I know you didn't want to call it a label or anything like that, but as you came forward with like, this is the type of community that we're building here at South Bend City Church, I think that it probably ruffled some feathers. It might've cost you some things. So what did it cost you? Yeah. Thanks for the question. Cause I think like within sort of Christian community or like the Christian world at large, I think within the Christian world at large, um, if somebody like a public figure or a pastor, you know, makes them move toward inclusion, they often get criticized for taking the easy road and like mm. not standing up to the culture or whatever. And I always watch that and kind of like, I kind of roll my eyes. I'm like, most of us don't live in relationship to the culture at large, right? We live in relationship to actual communities and people and, and networks. And I think, you know, a lot of people who have taken that step have done so at great cost. And so it wasn't the easy step. It was actually the hard step. And I've had a little taste of that too, you know. Um, I've, like, we, like in our own church community, we certainly had some people who felt like they could no longer be part of our church. And these are people I love and, and love being in community with who um, are no longer with us. And um, our budgets are not what they used to be. Like, that's real. Um, we've grown in number, but not in finance. <laughs> um, and then also, you know, there's... Uh, I do a lot of speaking in other places and have a lot of longstanding relationships with other communities that I really cherish. And, um, and some of those communities made it really clear to me in the wake of that sermon that I would no longer be welcomed back. Uh, quick disclaimer though, for your listeners, because some of your people, if, if they didn't follow me at all, they might know that there's places they used to see me speak and maybe they haven't seen me there anymore. It just, 
like, don't assume that just because I'm not there, it means I was like kicked out over this. Cause there's a lot of places I don't speak at anymore. It has nothing to do with that. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, like there were some very pointed communications to me from a, a few people in places that said, you know, you're, you're kind of no longer welcome here. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was brave of you to, instead of just saying like, I don't want to disclose where we're at or not being, you know, clear, like you chose the harder path of being clear and knowing that that would come with some consequences. And, um, I think it's beautiful. I know your sermon has made some waves throughout the Christian community and beyond. I'm going to definitely be sharing the sermon for people to listen to it, but I want to kind of end our conversation, Jay, with like two things. So first, if somebody was raised like me to believe that homosexuality is wrong and maybe there is, I mean, this applies whether or not they're gay, but especially if they're not gay and it doesn't seem to really affect them or they live in an area where, you know, in their community, there's not a lot of people that, um, they are in close relationship with that are gay. It's easy to just kind of be like, well, it doesn't affect me. Why should they care? And why should they kind of discern this as a believer or a follower of Jesus and how? Yeah. I mean, first of all, why should they care? First of all, we're just learning more and more, right? That that there are people who are gay and they're hiding and you, you, you just never know. Um, you know, you might, like you said, you grew up thinking you didn't know any. Um, probably did, right? Just they weren't, it wasn't safe for them to say that about themselves. Totally. So there's that piece. I also just think um, for anybody who cares about vulnerable people in the world, I mean, like, so from what I understand, the the LGBTQ portion of the population is like, I don't know, estimates from like 5%, 7%, depends on who you read, right? But estimates of homeless youth say that something like 20 to 40% of homeless youth, um, sorry, I just got really choked up about that, um, are are gay. Um, which means all over America, you got kids um, who have either been kicked out of their homes or who had to leave their homes because their homes became unsafe when they said the truth about their inner world. Um, if, if like, if that doesn't matter, I don't know what, what does. Right. So I think there's a real, there's like a real justice question there about whether, whether the world is safe and whether, um, being gay makes you really vulnerable and it, mm. and it clearly does. And so I think for anybody who wants a world that's, that's the way that Jesus wants it to be, it has to at least be a world where you're not kicked out of your home for that. So, I mean, there's a lot of reasons there and a lot of abuses that have been suffered that regardless of where you land on the question of sexual ethics, I think I would hope we could all agree that the treatment of sexual minorities is not right and we mm. got to fix it. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate your tenderness around this too. And, um, I'm, I'm thankful that it feels like there's been movement in the right direction in terms of churches providing clarity in terms of believers, uh, just kind of checking like themselves at the door, sort of like, okay, do I believe this just because I was taught to believe it or because I took the Bible at face value and with some cherry, you know, picked verses out or, you know, and, and to do the work, like that's so important. And I feel like there's been some movement, at least in my personal community, I've seen that. Um, but I guess how can we live in community with one another? This is the last thing that I was going to bring up with you is I think you do a really great job of this. You even said it like you have not, you have no, um, issue with other pastors or people who see it differently than you or who interpret scripture differently than you. Um, and in fact, you welcome those voices and those people to your church. You, you want them to be a part of your community. 
we live in a world where it feels like if you don't agree with me, I'm going to unfollow you. I'm no longer going to listen to you. And like people just shut each other out based on like opinions politically or things like this, right? These hot button, hot topic issues. How can we create a longer table? How can we have more people sitting around our table who we disagree with? What do we need to do to invite people who see the world differently and believe differently into our lives? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, A couple of thoughts come to mind. One is like, if you're nervous about that, maybe figure out where that fear is coming from, right? Like, I'm always interested that, like, we have this almost sort of contagion view of, like, theology, you know, so if I, you know, get too close to people who see it differently, it's like there's something, like, I'm going to get infected by, like, I think people really think that way, and I don't know where that comes from entirely, but I think it's worth asking, like, what are you really afraid of? Like, what's at stake in this for you? Why are you threatened by the idea of being at the table with somebody who sees it differently? Um, I also think like the example of Jesus just makes it really clear that uh, actually I just, I just preached a, a sermon on politics at our church this week because <laughs> of another sort of testy thing that came up. Um, and I was talking about how Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector are both in Jesus's family of friends, right? Well, Simon the Zealot, he's a zealot, which is a, a formal political category. Um, he's part of a tax revolt movement. Like, like, like they are violently trying to overthrow the government because of taxes, the Roman Empire that is, and um, and he would have seen Matthew the tax collector as the worst kind of Jewish person, right? Mm. The the greatest betrayer of God and his people. Matthew would have probably looked at, at Simon the Zealot like a threat, like like a physical threat. Um, somehow they both found themselves in the company of Jesus and one another. And I just think, like, if, if we don't see our own communities, our own sort of natural social lives and our churches, um, even our social media spaces, if we don't see them looking a little bit like that, mm. like, we, we should probably asking, be asking ourselves some really hard questions. Because mm. um, Jesus seems to have no problem mm. with those two brothers being at the table with him. And if we have a problem, we probably have some soul searching to do. Yeah, yeah, that's real. It's a little bit of a gut punch in a good yeah. way, in, yeah. a, in a really good way. Because I think there are people that are maybe listening or would somebody's going to pass this episode along to them and they're going to hear it and be like, okay, I'm already affirming or oh, yeah. I'm not affirming and I'm not going to change my mind. That's cool. We're not trying to change your minds. Like I, I, your sermon on sexuality didn't try to sway me or other people. I feel like you just, you wanted to have a conversation. You want us to be thoughtful about this. And I think that's really important because there are people's lives at stake. Um, as you mentioned about the homeless youth population that identify as the LGBTQ or the number of suicides that happen to be, um, people that identify as gay. And so this is serious because there are people's lives at stake. And so that's why we should give a darn, like just to be frank beyond that though, like don't have these conversations to try and change their mind or to have your mind change. Like just engage to know someone better, to expand your worldview, to actually do the deeper work of asking why you believe what you believe rather than just accepting what you were taught at, as like a child, you know? Yeah. Yep. Um, so I just appreciate these conversations. I hope that this for listeners sparks, you know, just an interest in getting to know someone who believes differently than them. 
whether, whether, you know, whatever side that is, whatever issue that is, um, that's really the whole purpose. I think the more that I become friends with, or let's be honest, you're not going to become friends with all those people, but just the more I engage with and respect the voices and opinions of people who aren't like me in one way or another, the more I realize we're actually more alike than I thought. And the more I, um, I just really see like a softer, I feel like I see myself softening even if I still don't see it the way they do, it's like, there isn't anyone we wouldn't love if we knew their story. Like that's what it's come down to for me. So I hope if you've listened to this episode, you go check out Jay's, uh, sermon on sexuality and that you just really make space in your life at your table for people who aren't like you and who believe differently from you. Love it. Thanks, man. Thanks, Jay.